0: I miss a green for example I'm already upset when I find my ball in the bunker I'm really upset and when I find my ball in a fried egg fried egg the dreaded fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg fried egg, fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course
1: Welcome back to another edition of the Friday Golf Podcast. I am Andy Johnson, and uh, we are back with another uh, episode with Joseph LaMagna. Obviously, this week there was big news with the American Team Ryder Cup selections, so the captain's picks came out. Uh, I decided to have Joseph on to discuss uh, the merits of, of the picks, uh, the American Team in detail, and then also we, we dove into the European team a little bit as well and just the event in general. It was a really fun chat and I uh, always love having Joseph on to kind of tackle these bigger subjects. So along with that, uh, just news uh, for Fried Egg Golf, we have a sale in our pro shop. That's proshop.thefriedegg.com. It's a Labor Day sale, so it is, uh, is humming all weekend. Uh, it is 15% off everything. That includes all of our prints. So you need to use the code Labor Day 15. Um, we've got a bunch of merchandise in there. Obviously, we did the rebranding. If you want some collector's items, if you want some retro fits, uh, now's your time to go get that old egg logo. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff in there with that. It's 15% off. Um, and we'll have some new merchandise rolling into the store next week. Uh, it'll be the Shotgun Start. 5th uh, anniversary so for that uh, for that sale 15% off go to ProShop.TheFriday.com it's Labor Day 15 it is a, a, it's a great discount for for the prints obviously as well as the other merchandise so without further ado here is Joseph Lamagna all right Joseph welcome back it is uh, always a pleasure to chat with you. How are how are you doing with uh with golf off season? How are you feeling?
0: I'm great. I'm fired up for this conversation. Actually heading to the US Open, the the tennis tournament this weekend. Have never been to a Grand no Slam, way. so I'm pretty excited.
1: Honestly, um like two of the highest things on my bucket list are US Open, tennis and Wimbledon. Like those are two things that I I need to accomplish before I die. And uh, yeah, I I, like the U S open. One of the things I'm pumped about, I I've been in the Midwest for like the last month. I'm going back to California tonight and U S open tennis is unbelievable in California because those matches, they go to like two or three Eastern in the morning and it's like midnight and in California, I remember last year it was, we were in a heat wave and you know, we don't have AC I'm just the house is cooling down by the minute as I'm watching uh, the center Alcaraz match, which to me was one of the best tennis matches I've awesome. ever watched. Yeah. Who are I, you seeing?
0: Well, I don't know. I'm This is somewhat controversial, but I do. I am kind of a Novak Djokovic fan and I'm hoping to see him at some point. I have a lot of respect for his competitive fire, so I hope to see him. I've gotten more into tennis over the last couple of years and the U S open sneaky become like one of my favorite events of the year to watch of any sport. So I'm with you. It's amazing what, uh, elite competition on primetime TV does.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You got any? uh, we're going to talk Ryder cup. Let's talk about the American picks. Um, they came out yesterday and I think there's, there's, there's going to be a healthy discourse about the U S Ryder cup picks, no matter which direction they went, whether they went with the, kind of the, what they went with was the team, you know, a lot of people could call it the buddies, buddies club, you know, the old boys club. They went that direction. If they had gone data, if they had gone just off the points list, there would have been discussion about, oh, how do you not, how do you not pick Justin Thomas or Ricky Fowler, who technically didn't qualify on points, you know, if they'd done that. So I think it was a no win situation, but you know, the fun of this whole thing, it's one of the rare times that we get a uh, really kind of off the field event, off the course event that that generates significant buzz, debate and uh, interest in the sport. So yesterday, uh, Zach Johnson in a made for TV special that maybe shouldn't have been made for TV um, announced his six captain's picks. It was Sam Burns, Ricky Fowler, Brooks Kepka, Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. Um, they joined. The group of already qualified six players, which were Scotty Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, Brian Harman, Patrick Cantlay, Max Homa, and Xander Shoffley. Um, do you want to start on the on the program just the whole the whole way it it, it kind of went down? Do you want to talk about that first uh, and 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 what were your kind of just general thoughts about about Zach Johnson and his um, his presentation of who he's picking and, and reasoning behind it?
0: Yeah, there's uh, that's why I'm excited for this conversation. There's a lot of different angles to 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 talk about. Was not impressed by Zach Johnson showing. I don't think it inspires a lot of confidence in the process. At the same time, I think generally what's going to happen is you can make bullet points for all of these players and then the captain they knew who they wanted to pick and then you just kind of pluck from the bullet points as to why. It's not always consistent. I think there were better cases for some other players. I, I don't agree with the captain's picks. Um, I don't think the message was super well delivered. And frankly, I don't think Zach Johnson understands some of the core stuff very well, which was evident based on some of his commentary. So I think Steve Stricker was a sneaky, excellent captain, not just because they blew Europe out. He handled this process very well from the start. I don't feel that way about Zach Johnson. as the, As of now, at this moment.
1: I think that's the... Um, one of the things as I started to think about it with the Ryder cup, um, that's really stands out is just how, how like all the players, you know, they have bad performances. They have great performances, but at the end of the day, maybe nobody, nobody has more pressure than these captains. It's a black and white thing. Like I've never heard somebody lose in, in one of these team competitions and people be, uh, you know, maybe on the president's cup side, just because it, it hasn't been as close of a like I think most people said, hey, Trevor Millman was a great captain. Right. But on the Europe American team, I've never heard a losing captain be referred to as a great captain, you know, and I've you know, and rarely is a winning captain ever like, you know, he won. But this wasn't he this was not a good captaincy right it's like if you win you're a great captain you're going to get another captainship you're going to make a lot of money like one of the things like the little sneaky secrets about this is being a Ryder Cup captain is worth a lot of money like a, a substantial sum of money between corporate appearances and different different things so if you win you got another chance of another go around and you're always a winning Ryder Cup captain so with Zach Johnson obviously he has a huge a lot to gain from from winning this Ryder Cup. Nobody's won. No American captains won in in Europe in thirty years. Fifteen tries.
0: Yeah, I hope it's not lost though in some of that is that the American team has been favored in some of those. It's not some impossible task. So, I hope that the captains are judged based on the merit of their decisions and not necessarily the results. Though the result, it is important to. Evaluate how somebody played with respect to whether or not they were a good pick. You can't go overboard with that. We know how high variance golf can be, but I have skepticism about some of the decisions that were made. And I I do think people should be held to account for those decisions.
1: All right. Let's talk a a little bit about the course and the course fit, since that's one of your kind of grievances here with, with Zach. And, And obviously like when somebody asked him about the course fit, he said that it was too confusing to explain. You know, there's technology and whatnot uh, involved with it. Uh, you wrote a a, a great article uh, the, earlier this week in your newsletter, Finding the Edge. Um, it's a sub stack that's free that everybody should subscribe to about a little bit about the course fit that you expect. Can you uh, div- divulge kind of what from your expert um, angle is the course fit at Marco Simone?
0: I think it's going to be pretty hardcore accuracy test off of the tee. There's, it's not just about with the fairways, which I think we get carried away with when we talk about how accurate you need to be at golf courses. It's also, it's largely about how much of a penalty is there for a small miss and how much of a penalty is there for a wide miss. And at Marco Simone, there's going to be plenty of areas where, yeah, even if you're just a little bit off the fairway, it's going to be penal. But once you get way off the fairway, there's going to be Thick fescue, there's going to be some hazards. You can't go out there and spray it. It's also, despite the length on the scorecard not being super long, some of the reason for that is that there are multiple semi-drivable par 4s. There are three of them. And though those are short on the scorecard, they're some of the most highly correlated holes with distance. So it's you have to look at more than just a scorecard to understand how distance-friendly a course will be this is going to be a pretty distance heavy course where accuracy is highly rewarded off of the T you're going to have to be an elite striker. And if you're somebody that makes a lot of their money on the PGA tour or <laughs> on live or whatever with your wedges and your putter, that's not the type of player that I would be prioritizing. So I get a little bit frustrated when people say things like, Oh, well this player is such a great putter, which you need in the Ryder cup. That's not always true. And you know, f- Tommy Fleetwood and Francesco Molinari are not people you think of as great putters. That's always been a deficiency and they smoked people in in Paris. So I just don't like that argument and I don't think it's uh I think there's some fallacies that get thrown around when we talk about this event.
1: I think that that is a huge misconception with with match play and I have always thought of it, you know, the type of player just anecdotally that you do not want to play in match play is someone who's steady, someone who who can overwhelm you with their ball striking, the type of player that every time you look up and watch one of their approach shots, it's landing 15, 10 feet that never gives you an inch. You know, it's to me, the great match play trait is consistency, especially T to green, because and if you think about Sergio Garcia, I mean, he embodies this, right? Like, what is the one thing throughout his career that Sergio Garcia brought to the golf course every day effectively was elite, elite, top of the end, top end T to green play. Um, You think about some other like great Ryder Cup players. Monty was a just a thoroughbred T to green. Right. It is. That is what it's about. Putting is streaky. Putting is variable what's hard to beat and what what wins a lot of matches over a big sample size is guys that bring you know that are and that's not necessarily I think that's where it runs counter it's not like winning a tournament winning a golf tournament is about marrying great ball striking with a hot putting week really like or an above average putting week or for somebody like that's hitting the ball like Scotty Scheffler an average putting week you know um with match play You're playing people on singular days. It's about the guy that that doesn't shoot 72 that shoots, you know, 68 over and over again. Sure, he's going to get beat sometimes by somebody playing better than him. But if you're consistent day in, day out, that's what to me makes a great match play player.
0: And it's not saying that putting doesn't matter. It's it's. If a player makes their money with their putter, they're probably deficient in some of the areas that are going to be particularly important at Marco Simone. There are certain setups where I would prioritize putting more. This is not one of them. So not to throw a player under the bus, but like a Denny McCarthy, right, who is one of the best putters on tour and does well on particular setups. Like that's not the kind of player I want at Marco Simone. So I, I would be prioritizing these really accurate drive really good drivers of the golf ball who are are proficient with their long irons and uh, I don't know if you want to go right into the picks but we did leave a couple of those off the team
1: yeah I, I so like based off of what you're saying I just you know I you know looking through the two teams I think we would look at the the American team and you say like all right if we're going to prioritize long and accurate players to me like the really elite drivers of the golf ball on the American team are obviously Scotty Scheffler, Wyndham Clark would come to mind. Um, I think Patrick Cantley and Xander are, are above above average drivers, not not elite elite. Brooks is above average. I wouldn't say he's elite, but that that's about it, right? And I More think color. this is this is a team. Yeah, accurate. Um, this is this was a team that was, you know, we left whistling straight, saying like, "They're like, look at this power advantage, this sheer driving, like they have the capabilities to drive the ball so much better than the Europeans. The Europeans are never going to win again." Now, two years later, we zoom out, and now, like, look at the driving advantage right at the top. Like, it's very evident right at the top of the top of each team. You know, Europe is going to roll out Victor Hovland. Rory McIlroy and John Rahm arguably you could probably you know I think Scotty's right in there arguably the three best drivers of the golf ball in the game of golf
0: and, and one that's not on either team
1: yeah it's, it's maybe one that got left off Cameron Young right
0: yeah exactly
1: So I think like and then you go down the European team, you got some other like Fitzpatrick's turned himself into a pretty good driver of the golf ball, a drastically different driver of the golf ball than he was, uh, especially at um, at um, Whistling Straits when we last saw him. So I think like in a way, like it's really amazing how in two years, how how drastically different the the two teams makeup are and how they appear on paper.
0: Absolutely. I think when you look at these teams at a high level, Europe, the top three for Europe in Rory, Rahm, and Hovland, I think you have more confidence in those three on this golf course than any three on the American team. I, I do believe that. It get The European team is clearly not as deep. But I do think Zach Johnson... With, I agree with four of his picks. I don't agree with two of them. And I think that those two... You just, you have, you can't leave any stone unturned when you're trying to win over in Europe on what should be a pretty close fight here. So, uh, the golf course is relevant. And I think Europe sets up, especially at the top of their roster, they set up very well for this golf course.
1: Yeah. Especially if they bring in like a, you know, uh, a guy like Ludwig who drives, drives the ball extraordinarily well. Right. Exactly. If that's their type of, if that's the captain's pick, that it seems like it, it's a very, uh, relevant, you know, he's playing with Nicholas Colstart and uh, and Molinari this week. It's it seems like that is you know starting to come to fruition that Ludwig Aberg, the rookie um, player on the PGA Tour, who is by all you know early stats a an ultra elite driver, of the golf ball will be on the European team. Now for a quick word from our sponsor AG1. Listen, I started taking AG1 uh, late last year and I really was looking to be more healthy. Uh, I wanted a routine, a morning routine and uh, a foundational nutrition supplement that supported whole body health and I drink it every day. So it's, uh, it's super simple. I mix eight ounces of water with a packet of AG1 or a scoop of AG1, it depends. I've been on the road for the last month, so I've been using the travel packs. Um, but w- when I'm back home, as I am now, I use a scoop uh, of AG1. I mix it up, and really, it makes me feel great. It just gets me energized. It gets me ready to go for the day, and most importantly, it's just gotten me in healthier habits. Um, just as a aside, uh, I checked in on my Apple stat, like my Apple Health. Uh, app the other day, I'm trending to have my best year uh since that app came about uh in terms of step steps and just overall um you know health. It's been something that I wanted to focus in on this year, as I said earlier. And uh, AG One's been a big big part of that. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG One and get a free one year supply of vitamin D. That's particularly nice as we're heading into fall and winter, get that vitamin D. And you, so you get that free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs. As I mentioned, awesome when you're on the road with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash thefriedegg. That's drinkag1.com slash thefriedegg and check it out. Now back to Joseph lemania Let's get into the two picks. So you said, which four do you agree with?
0: I agree with the Kepka pick. I agree with Spieth. I agree with Morikawa, and I agree with Fowler. the The Burns pick doesn't doesn't kill me, and I think there are players who deserved it. Deserved is a term that we can we can debate, but I think there are two players I would have preferred over Justin Thomas and Sam Burns. Sam Burns could play well in Paris, or sorry, in Rome. Don't think. Justin Thomas, I'm sure we'll get into, but um, in my opinion, Cameron Young was a player that I would not, he was the player you don't leave at home, uh, especially with how well he fits the golf course and how well he's played in big events. I think he could have come out and crushed this course and he could have been the type of player that you're like, all right, five matches for us or four, four matches for us, like somebody who's dominant on this setup. And then the other player that I think just didn't get discussed enough and had a really strong case to be on the team is Russell Henley. And I think he's a great course fit and almost any argument you use on short-term or long-term for form. Russell Henley just did not get talked about. Everyone's focused on Keegan and Russell Henley had a really strong case to be on this team and he should have been discussed more.
1: All right, let's let's zoom in a little bit on cam young. Um, obviously I don't think this was the best year for Cameron Young. He he was kind of in and out pretty inconsistent year before, you know, left us with, I think one of the, one of the issues was the year before left golf with extraordinarily high expectations for this year of Cameron Young. And he's still a relatively green player on the PGA tour. Um, that being said, you know, and, you know, he he didn't he made the FedEx Cup playoffs. He didn't get it pa- get past, um you know, the top 50 or and we get to, you know, the Open Championship. He leads the field in driving and approach the green. Um, So he's the best ball striker in the field at the Open Championship with the best players in the world. And to boot, he's ninth in Ryder Cup points. Ninth, not not 10th, not 11th, not 12th. Very close to being eighth in fact, like not very far away from eight he was he was a ways behind Kepka at seven, but he's he's closer to being eighth than you know in, in in a spot where like I wonder like if he's eighth in points there i don't think you could leave him at home really um at ninth is that like it to me it seems like if you're ninth in points you're a course fit. I don't know how you leave that person at home
0: I'm not the biggest fan of of the point system and using points for some reasons that maybe we'll get into with like Keegan Bradley. So I don't put a lot of stock in the points, but I put a lot of stock in some of what he's done on the course in the last 18 months and he's contended in 4 of the last 8 major championships. He was playing around with like a new ball and stuff for parts of this year, had some changes with the caddy didn't play great during the summer, but when you zoom out, when you look at his year, it's not bad. I agree with you that it didn't live up to expectations set by last year, but he contended at the Masters this year for much of that tournament. He finished second at match play to Sam Burns, which the main reason Burns is being thrown out is because he won match play. Cam Young was the 36-hole leader at the John Deere. Not a strong field. I wouldn't hang my hat on that argument, but then he destroyed at Liverpool to Green you know, stumbled a little bit on Sunday in the final group and finished eighth, but he's contended in four of the last eight major championships. And When you look at the shots that are required at Marco Simone, I want cam young hitting all of those drives. And I think he would have been a really hard out at that golf course. So I don't think you can leave him at home, but it is what it is
1: with, uh, with Russell Headley, obviously very, very rarely discussed, but what was it that really jumped out to you about, about Henley and his candidacy for for one of these spots?
0: You know, when everyone's talking about these picks, I think they fall on a lot of bullet points, right? And people want to talk about Keegan Bradley and his past performance at Medina. There's not a lot to talk about with Russell Henley, which I think just works against him. But he was unbelievably solid this entire year. He's played 15 tournaments since the Players' Championship, Andy. He missed the cut at the PGA in the Open, so two of the majors. He gained strokes tee to green, just didn't putt well in those, but missed those cuts. Every other finish is a top 20 in that span. He finished fourth at Augusta this year, which I don't know if people realize. And he finished 14th at LACC at the U.S. Open. Just a bunch of elite finishes. Sorry, one other. He, he finished tied for 35th, so that was outside uh, the top 20 of the John Deere. But 12 of those 15 events, top 20s. and. He's an extremely accurate driver of the golf ball. If you think about a course on the PGA tour that demands accuracy, Mayacoba is one of those. He won that this past fall. Yeah. Not saying you want to use Mayakoba as your, you know, litmus test for Rome, but Russell Henley is a course fit, elite long iron player, and he's been extremely consistent this entire year. It's hard to poke holes in the argument against Russell Henley.
1: So those are the the two guys that you would have liked to see him picked. To me, um, Really, where I I fell is I, you know, I thought Cameron Young was kind of the big snub. I think he's the only guy that you can you can say, like, is a true like really a snub, right? I think if we got to the point where Cam Young's on the team and one of Burns or, or Thomas is out, you know, that was that last pick should have been decided between them Russell Henley, you know, Denny McCarthy, other, other Keegan Bradley, other people to me, uh, Cameron Young needs to be on this team. Um, he should be, he's a young player and you know, what, what kind of happened? And, and Brendan made this point uh, on, on our podcast on the shotgun start at talking about this topic. You know, if you look at Keegan Bradley's quotes and, and I'm paraphrasing here, he talked about after, you know, the dis- disappointment of not being selected, how he spent, the year, the season, trying to become friends with people that he thought were going to be on the team. That you know, he he understood that this uh, there was a lot of com- camaraderie involved. That this was not. This is a you know he kind of pointed pointed out that this is indirectly that this is a very political system. So if you look at the the players that were selected and you've called into question, Sam Burns. He is best friends with with Scotty Scheffler vacations regularly with him and as well as as Justin Thomas, who might be one of the, you know, real decision makers on the Ryder Cup team might be uh, one of the biggest influences in the room, despite, you know, in data golf ranking being ranked 57 in the world right now. So Justin Thomas gets gets a spot and. Um, When Zach Johnson was, you know, kind of asked about it, he said he was born, born for this. Um, Couldn't imagine going there without him. Those were the reasons given, um, despite, you know, really a a poor season from JT. And I think, listen, like he might go over there and play great and uh, and everything. It doesn't matter. He might go over there and play poorly. Um, But, you know, with this Ryder Cup, you you look at it and given his form, it seems like a Big question mark here.
0: Absolutely. If I were to build the case against Justin Thomas, and again, I think he's one of the... When he's playing well, he's, he's one of the best Americans, there's no doubt. But ultimately, I think the best way I can frame the argument that I've, as I've been reflecting on this process, I think the range of outcomes for Justin Thomas at this golf course is... It's well within the range of outcomes that he plays very poorly. Because he's been playing terribly, and he's kind of on the downswing a little bit. It's not like he's showing some signs of going the, the right direction, almost finished dead last at the U S open and opened with an 82 at the open championship recovered a little bit the next day, but he's playing badly. The golf course doesn't fit him particularly well. He's one of the best wedge players in the world. You're not going to hit a lot of wedges here. I, I don't, I think there are some, there are some scenarios where he plays really poorly at, at Marco Simone for all of his matches I think the best case for JT and you can old takes exposed me if I'm wrong, but I think the best case is he kind of scrapes by and like maybe wins a match or two, or, you know, judge, if he's partnered with Jordan, Jordan plays really well, they're competitive, maybe wins a match or two. If you pick somebody else like a Cam Young, (laughs) there's a chance Cam Young dominates that event. And he's the reason you win the Ryder cup, his range of, there's so much more upside in a pick like that. And that's what rubs me the the wrong way a little bit about the Justin Thomas pick. I understand the team chemistry and the the soul of the team, all of those arguments that are made. But ultimately, I think I kind of land on hitting good golf shots solves a lot of issues. And Cam Young would hit a lot of good golf shots.
1: Yeah, I think if you look at where, where JT's really declined... Um and in his decline, I want to be very clear: is like you know his bottom is not what a lot of other people's bottom is. He is an ultra, ultra talented, one of the best, uh, you know, one of the best players in the world. Um, could make an argument he's the best player in the world when everything's humming. Um, he where his big decline has been has been around driving the golf ball. Um, you know it's it's been inaccurate, and he's he's not as long as he used to be i mean the driving numbers have been poor his approach play numbers have been much much worse this year and then he's always kind of outside of really one year been a a so-so putter so obviously this is a three-day competition and you know one of the things about it is golf is a very a high variance game you know um if you if you have you can just have it for three days, you could not have it for three days. Your best player, Scotty Scheffler, might not have it for three days. Um, and and if he doesn't have it for three days, the U.S. team's in trouble. Right. But like that's the way it works. Like you can just play a t- 12 players can play pretty mediocre. Like, you know, seven of your guys could just play poorly. We see it every week and week out on the tour when these guys miss cuts. Right. Elite players miss cuts, you know. So a lot of it comes down to variance in this game, in this sport. But, you know, again, going back to what makes great match play players, selecting players without a lot of variance that are really rock solid T to green kind of mitigate some of that variance. And if you think about like the players that have caused like, you know, the, the old stalwarts of, of the Ryder Cup of the European team, a lot of them were very, very steady T to green players. And that's what has given the U.S. fits when they've gone abroad think about Molinari and Fleetwood as a pairing what are they ultra ultra elite ball strikers you know think about uh you know Sergio Garcia as we talked about before ultra elite like those that's the makings of of a really dynamic Ryder Cup team pairing and I think like one of the tough things that I found like one of the cringe things is we're saying this Justin Thomas. Ryder cup record at like, he's a like living legend. He's played in two Ryder cups.
0: Yeah. I think we make way too much of Ryder cup records in general too. Uh, That's a, that's a Hill. I'm happy to die on the, you don't look at who they played against or like how they actually scored on the holes. You just look at the record and sometimes you run into it. You, you play well and the other guy plays better and you lose and you were still, you still had a strong performance. Justin Thomas has had legitimately strong performances in the Ryder Cups, even when you add in that context. But it is a small sample size. I don't think this golf course sets up particularly well for him. And I think the chance that he goes out there and crushes it is minimal. And when the United States team is so deep, you could have picked guys that did that. So again, like I said, I think Cam Young was that player. I think Russell Henley was that player. He kind of profiles a lot like a Fleetwood or a Molinari. And you could have sold me on, you know, a Lucas Glover, a Keegan Bradley, before a Justin Thomas. But as you've mentioned, it's not always just about what you do on the golf course.
1: All right, let's talk a little bit about the the U.S. team as it's constructed. Um, are there any pairings that that you look at, you potential pairings that you look at that really excite you about with the twelve players that are on this team?
0: Yeah, I probably need to get a little more into that before giving you a, a firmer answer. I think starting to materialize the more I've gone through the golf course, which players are well-suited for the course. Like I think a Max Homa is a sneaky, could be really good here. I think Colin Markawa is going to be excellent here. And that's, I know that they have some chemistry, so wouldn't be shocked to see those two paired together. You know JT and oh, Spieth. Cal Bear action. Yeah, yeah. You know JT and Spieth are going to play together. I think it's likely Burns and Scheffler going to play together which is kind of a high variance one i think that could work out and I, I also don't i think they could be not the best pairing to where europe's not that scared of them um i think you know xander and cantlay are probably going to play together so it's not too hard to start to figure out where these guys are going to potentially match up but um i can't tell you that like an alternate shot optimal pairing that i've gone through all that yet
1: well, I think that's one of the things when you get when you become kind of this reincarnation of the old boys club that this era of players um kind of blew up it is it seemingly back is that you get these like locked in pairings that have to play together. Speeth and Jt are going to play together. Xander and Cantley are going to play together. I think you made a great point about Homa Morikawa Cal Bears. they're going to probably play together um and then you know, burns seemingly one of the big reasons he got picked was his he's, you know, him and Scotty Shuffler are boys, which leaves like, you know, Fowler. I think like you could kind of go through this and it, it leaves Fowler and Brooks. I, I bet they're, they live in the same area. I imagine, you know, Fowler's pretty agreeable and Brooks, like I, I imagine that probably looks like a pairing. And and then it leaves Wyndham Clark and, and Ricky er, and uh, Brian Harmon, the, the two kind of guys that crashed this, uh, this boys club as, as Keegan Bradley, pointed out when he was asked uh, about about missing he needed to uh he in future years he he feels like he has to qualify on points to make the team these two qualified on points to make the team and i wonder if they would have if there were 12 12 just exclusively 12 captains picks brian harman probably isn't on this team uh wyndham clark might be but wyndham clark and brian Harmon seems like a logical pairing as well i think that's one of the 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 fascinating things is like in terms of Luke Donald, when you have these locked in pairings, it kind of allows Luke Donald the opportunity to game against them with course setup with his own pairings and other things.
0: I I agree with you. And I think overall, one thing I feel pretty confident saying without being in some of the team rooms is that Europe generally has a little healthier, I think, philosophy around some of this stuff which is like pair me with anybody and i'll if you tell me it's the right person for me to go with like i trust and i'll i'll go out and hit good shots whereas i think team usa is a little doing a little more dictating about who they want to be paired with and who they want on the team and i think that flexibility is beneficial for europe don't know that i I don't know that luke there's a whole lot luke donald's gonna be able to do because once the event starts, you can't do a whole lot with like pin locations and stuff that's out of his hands. But I'm I'm with you that the overall Europe has more flexibility. And I think that speaks to the mindset of some of the players in there who often are a little bit more open to some of that kind of information, the analytics side. I think it's fair to say that Europe's a little more open minded about that, not just among the captains, but among the players.
1: In a way the American team is kind of, you know, the overall um seemingly leadership style is, is very intertwined with the direction of the PGA tour, where it's the top players dictating the the way that the tour now is governed, is run. And so there's I think there's a lot of similarities and a lot of, you know, people that in this in this room that you know, are very good at hitting a golf ball that believe that they're also very good at at knowing what's best for their team.
0: I I agree with you. And I don't want to entirely dismiss that. Like, right. Randall Cobb is on the jets because Aaron Rodgers wants him on the jets. And I do think when you vouch for people, there is some camaraderie that's built in. And when you tee it up next to them, like, I, I think it can elevate your performance. I think we get Go too far in that direction. And I prefer the mentality of just give me any partner and I'll go out there and and get the job done. But I I don't want to entirely dismiss how vouching for others can can build camaraderie. Only other one other note I had is that we talk so much about chemistry and so much about like uh alternate shot pairings and stuff. It's still important to remember that these players are are gonna play most of them three to four matches and one of those is for sure singles right so you know 25 to 33 percent of your matches it does some of that doesn't matter like you it's you alone on the golf course and so that's where I'd, I'd really prioritize some of these guys who fit the course well and who have been consistently strong performers all year form is a great indicator of success
1: yeah I think that's the the fascinating question I wrote a little bit in uh, Wednesday's newsletter about this is what should the Ryder Cup team be how should the picks be selected there's money at stake with these with these selections you know player incentives and contracts and and some contracts and and then obviously the pip program and everything that's involved should these picks be you know hey we're the leaders of the team um this is who we want to play with uh, we're captains this is who we want or should it be more merit-based with the fact that it is like a career honor, a career distinction, and now a a, a very, you know, it's a lucrative um, spot to gain. Should it be merit, more merit-based or should it be more, hey, this is the guy that we want on our team?
0: My, in my opinion, it works very well the way it's running right now with six auto qualifiers and six captain's picks. Of course, it gets political, uh, but it is an option to earn your spot. And Brian Harmon can testify to that as can Wyndham Clark, but Brian Harmon's more of the, he's been around for a while and and earned his way on. Uh, I think it works well now. And there's going to be controversy. If you have six captains picks, if you have two, if you have zero, there's always going to be arguments that the process could be better. I think it works well now.
1: Yeah, I, I kind of agree too. And what I really agree with is that I think it's great for the sport the discourse and interest that this creates in an event that's a month away like that rarely rarely happens outside of the masters is there anything that generates
0: this the super bowl and the player impact program are both pretty exciting for fans right hey
1: real quick let's talk about club tfe they're the sponsor of this episode of the Friday Golf Podcast. We have a lot of cool stuff coming. Um, last, last month, we did a Ballyneal routing video with Tom Doak. He d- dove into the routing of Bally Neal. Uh, This week, we published a St. Louis Country Club uh, profile as well as our new feature every at the beginning of every week is Design Notebook, where we dive into kind of the trends and different things. Some, there's some news stuff in that also in golf architecture. And next week, we will be releasing another member video. Uh, Garrett dove in to the Lido, the new golf course up at Sand Valley. He did a one thing about every hole at the Lido. So that's a hole-by-hole lido video I, I i just watched the rough draft of it as you imagine with garrett doing something like that it's sensational there's some historical stuff architecture stuff all in all like you walk away understanding one of the uh pieces of golf history and you know the probably the most high profile course opening of the year a lot better so that uh those member videos are awesome and club tfe uh if you're looking for more from us it's an amazing place to to, uh, to join. As well as we've been working really hard on our 2024 events calendar, I'm really proud of the way it's shaping up. I can without a doubt say that we've worked harder on this events calendar than we have on any other one prior. Uh, and I think everybody will be really excited when they see some of the venues that we've put together for next year. and uh, And Club TFE members get early access to those events. So if you want to join... If you're looking at joining, go to thefriedegg.com slash membership. It's 120 dollars for the year, and uh, it really helps support us. So let's go back to Joseph Lamagna. I got a text from my my group of like casual friends, a casual golf friend. Um, it was it's a group chat about golf, and you know mostly it's a re- revolves around like playing golf. Um, rarely does it revolve around the PGA Tour. It revolves around the majors during major weeks, but rarely the PGA Tour. And the comment, the comment was like, um, you know, I ca- I can't remember the last time there was like a meaningful shot in a meaning or meaningful golf tournament on the PGA Tour or something like that. And to me, like I immediately said, like la- the last week was really good at the BMW. Um, but I think this person. Didn't even know that it was a net start that like that it would have been in a fascinating tournament at the tour championship with Victor Hovland and Xander Shoffley uh, really separating themselves and lifting from the competition that that would have been a a amazing, amazing tournament with meaningful shots hit down the stretch, everything they are looking for. I mean, like the. This thing, it can't, this isn't it. What, what the Tour Championship, I don't mean to diverge from the Ryder Cup here, but what we watched last week can't be it. And I, I'm not saying that like one way is it, but this isn't it.
0: Well, look, to, I know we don't want to go too far down this path, but to tie it back to the Ryder Cup, something I had in my notes was, isn't it kind of funny that less than 48 hours after the Tour, the tour Championship, the season end pinnacle, all anyone's talking about is the Ryder Cup and, and one of the captain's picks is Justin Thomas, who didn't qualify for the playoffs at all. I mean, what does that say about how much people view, <laughs> what kind of light the, the actual tour product is viewed in with relation to, you know, who's going to be playing well in the biggest stages? So I uh, don't want to derail us there, but I think it is interesting that the week after the tour championship, no one's talking about it you know
1: real quick where i've like after a few days of really thinking about this like the the tour championship like i cover golf for a living i i you know i want it to be as successful as popular uh, and popular as possible because that's that is inherently what everybody that is involved in the sport wants they want the sport to be thriving and you know i think there i this is a puzzle that hasn't been solved yet it is a a very valuable property and in a potentially great event. It's just not there yet. And, and where like the last couple of days, I've just found myself like very occupied and thought about what's going on and what the, what the solution is. And, and it's a complex problem, right? Players want regular season performance rewarded. They, I think if they had it their way, it would just be a payout to the, the best players over the course of the year. That's what they want. They do not want the idea. They didn't want Adam Shank winning, you know, $18 million by playing 31 events. And, you know, they want the best players to be the only ones that have a chance. Right? So with that in mind, I think that they need to reallocate some of this money. And it needs to just go to the regular season. Like it needs to be substantial amount of money. Like maybe half of it just goes to the regular season. because as Rom said last week, like, this isn't about money, this is about winning, right? If you reallocated money and made the end of the regular season more valuable, significantly, like I'm talking like triple the end of the regular season. I know that they have a big increase, but make that huge. Then have a real playoff. Have the opportunity for someone to be eliminated. It was a big deal when Justin Thomas was eliminated at the Wyndham. That is a, an amazing way to have it. And then all of a sudden, this can be a, a competition. It can be an actual playoff. Right now, they're stuck between wanting playoffs, but also wanting to reward regular season play. And it, it, it puts you in the middle, which just doesn't work.
0: I think my, uh, my opinions on this are well-known. I totally agree. I think everyone who plays in the Tour Championship needs to have had a season worthy of being the champion if they do win. So it should be 8 to 12 players match play. I don't think I need to go on much more here. I'm in total agreement with you. One thing that you just reminded me of that's going back to Justin Thomas a little bit because I don't think I've heard this point made. We talk so much about match play and how important it is. Justin Thomas skipped Dell match play this year. And if he had just played and not even done anything he'd have made the playoffs I th-
1: he only played 21 times adam shank played but, like 32 you, times
0: for sure and that's a huge problem i'm just saying even going back to the rider cup conversation like justin thomas didn't even have to beat anybody you get points just for participating in Dell match but he finished 71st if he played that event he's in the playoffs
1: it's kind of unbelievable and, and you know that same event's the reason that sam burns is on the team
0: right that that's what's what, what I'm saying yeah it's crazy
1: all right let's uh let's talk European team a little bit while we're here um they make their picks after the after labor day um what how do you like the way the te- that the European team's shaping up and do you have anybody that in particular at that back end which i think is always the problem with the European team that back end of the lineup are there anybody is there anybody in that back end that you really would like to see pick
0: yeah, disclaimer, I watch less DP World Golf than I watch PJ Tour Golf, so a little less familiar with some of their skill sets. I think the team is shaping up well, especially at the top. I mean, how many golfers do you feel about feel better about than Victor Hovland coming into to this Ryder Cup and the way that he fits this course? So, you know, you talk about Rory Rahman Hovland at the top, and I also have a ton of confidence in the way Fleetwood sets up. I think Fitzpatrick could be dangerous. Tyrrell Hatton's been playing really well all year. Wouldn't surprise me if he plays well. Lowry, Rose, like they've got guys. So I think they are absolutely competitive. And this thing's probably pretty close to a coin flip with a slight edge to the Americans. On the back end, I'm less familiar with some of you forgot the Sepp, skill sets. You forgot, you forgot Sepp, Sepp Straka. I, you forgot
1: Sepp Straka.
0: How, how dare you? I've got him listed, but I don't I don't know that he's going to you know break any records at this Ryder Cup. But he could be solid. I think Ludwig Aberg's interesting, especially because of how good of a driver he is. So um, again, without being super familiar with all the skill sets of every player who's being considered, I think you have to give him a pretty, you got to give him a look. I mean, he's an excellent driver, the golf ball, both long and straight. So uh, I think he's got a pretty good case, I'm sure. Adrian Moronk won at this golf course and I'm guessing he'll be on the team. So I guess Bobby McIntyre is maybe the other player that, does not really set up that well for the course necessarily, but it'll probably be on the team.
1: I think the thing with Marunk and, um, and, uh, is in particular, and Aberg and Sepstraka is that all three of those players have shown the ability to make flurries of birdies. I believe Marunk last year led the European tour in birdies. I believe Sepstraka is near the top of the PGA tour in birdies. So if you're, Like, unlike a lot of times we get to the back end, like obviously always the back end of Europe is is a is a struggle. Like it's it's their you know, they just don't have the depth that the Americans have. They aren't rolling out like, you know, last year or at Whistling Straits. America's last guy on the team is is Scotty Scheffler. You know, Um, I think the difference between this year's European team and and the recent European team is they don't have guys that are just like grinders that are par guy, like guys that make lots of pars. They have some. They actually have some firepower. They have some, you know, a little bit more high variance guys. I think if if you're if you're weak at the back end, you want that high variance um, rather than someone who's just like kind of an average plotter. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but it, but it seems to me that would be a little bit more. Give you a little bit more dynamic of a of pairing capabilities and a team.
0: Yeah, and I the the back. I don't know that the this Ryder Cup is going to be decided by like those last couple guys who aren't even going to play that many matches. If I'm looking at where Team Europe's vulnerable, it's probably more in the middle where you have you start to stack up like the Hatton, Lowry, Fitzpatrick, Roses, who you need to play a decent number of matches against, like, the Xander, Can'tley, Homa, like, some of those guys in the middle. I think that's probably what will ultimately decide this Ryder Cup. They're fine at the top. The bottom is serviceable. I think you need some of those guys in the middle to step up. And, like, who, Andy, who's going to be that player on Team Europe that isn't one of the top three but just shreds it?
1: I think that the natural reaction right now, based off of how he's played the last four months, how he's played in Ryder Cups before is Tommy Fleetwood, right? He he seems like a guy that has to play well for them, them to win. Matt Fitzpatrick hasn't earned a a Ryder Cup point yet. And I think he's a dramatically different golfer than he was the last time this was played. Um, And I think that that could be, you know, he could be a big swing guy to me if I'm looking at it, like Shane Lowry was really good at whistling straights. Um, He seems to play, he plays, he's not the most accurate player, but you know, he's got a good short game and he's fiery. I, you know, I hate, I kind of hate that expression, but he's a kind of guy that is a competitor. Um, You know, the, I, I would, I would lean towards uh, Fleetwood, Fitzy, as the guys that are really the swing guys that they need to play well. They need two of the three of Hatton, Fleetwood and Fitzpatrick
0: to play well. I agree. I think those are I could see Matt Fitzpatrick doing very well on this golf course. Yeah.
1: So uh, early prediction. Uh, who would you who would you give the edge? I mean, your newsletter is called Finding the Edge. Who's who who do you give the edge right now to? Uh, obviously, USA is heavily favored in all all books. Do you think that that shouldn't be the case?
0: So. USA is not as favored as they were. They were like minus 200, so win probability about 65% as of a couple months ago and it's down to like minus 150 in most places, so um you know, just under 60% when you remove the juice. It's trending that way and I think that team USA should be a small favorite, but not by a lot and if you made me take either side, I would lean with the European side. How about you?
1: Um I, I think the Americans are the favorites still. Um, they're always the favorites. I think they just have so much depth. I just, you know, but I would say that, like, this is when you you take into, fact, uh, into account form, um, the Europeans are certainly trending to very close. And I think it's going to come down to captaincy. Like, you can make up the edge in captaincy. I would almost give it a, a, a toss up at this point. And I think like Luke Donald might might be a bit more cerebral. Uh, you know, you have Molinari, who's you know that's a very data-driven um, uh, family in general. Uh, and then you have, you know, I, I just think that you have, as you said, a little bit more open-mindedness, a little bit more um, flex, uh, you know, just flexibility. I think one thing that that should be talked about is like. This is a dramatically different um, European team makeup. This is the first year that you don't have uh, a lot of long-term guys. Sergio's not there. Uh, Lee Westwood's not there. Poulter's not there. So this is going to be a different team dynamic, too. And and I think that that is one of the big... I think the, Euro, the American team, the challenge is going to be getting a little bit of flexibility with pairings. You know, uh, are are we are we rolling out just the same pairings because that's who people want to play with or they're the best fits? I think with the Europeans, it's going to be assimilating a really new team, a really green young team together, and 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 getting people comfortable in the moment.
0: I've asked you, look, like, which Americans you feel like there's almost no way they don't play well, like they are going to be rock solid. In Rome. For me, I think Xander Schauffele and Patrick Cantlay. It's like, okay, I think they're gonna be really, really good outside of that. I mean, there's some other players I have confidence in, but not maybe to that degree, especially seeing some of Scotty Scheffler's the putter recently is a little scary. Like I know said putting is not the most important thing, but it's it's kind of at a, a crazy level right now. Who who do you feel supremely confident in when they tee it up in Rome on the American side?
1: You know, I, I have to say Scotty Scheffler yeah the t to green game's just been so good that i think like like alternate shot he's he's not hitting he's gonna hit a lot less short putts it's not a long putting problem it's yep. a short putting problem you know granted there's gonna be high leverage putts but like that that ball striking in an alternate shot format is so 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 valuable right um so i i i I'm very confident in Scotty, despite the putter. I mean, as we saw all year, again, like you can't he just is a relentless guy. I think um, Morikawa with recent recent form, I feel really good about, too. Mm -hmm. So I and I would echo Can'tley and Sander. So I think those four I feel really good about. But I don't think I feel as good about any of them as 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 I feel about really like I ROM's not playing well. I do. I'm not worried about ROM. Um, Same. Hovland is I, I'm not worried. And and Rory, I think like those three are, are probably the guys that I feel the best about. All three of those guys are the guys that I feel the three best about heading in. And I think like there's a little bit more relevant European golf the next couple of weeks. Like I do like, it's hard to, be sharp when your season ends a month before the competition. Like, I think there is an advantage to the Europeans with the way their, their schedule works out that they are playing real golf two weeks before the Ryder cup.
0: No disagreement here. And the only other thing I guess I'd chime in on is when you said you feel really good about Rory Raman Hovland. I I think Fleetwood, I feel similarly good about not, not quite on that level, but not too far behind.
1: He's been sensational. He hasn't won, but match play is not about about winning against 156 guys. It's about beating one guy. And if you did, if you did his like a uh, Sagarin ranking over the last six months, it's got to be through the roof because he's been just a top ten machine.
0: Probably looks like Russell Henley's.
1: <laughs> All right, Joseph, uh, you got anything coming up that's uh, exciting, or uh, you know what 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 can we look out for?
0: I'll probably put out a, some long thoughts on the Ryder Cup in advance of when the the event actually starts with like some pairings and some holes. Um, I guess to tease that, it's interesting that the a lot of the par threes and semi-drivable par fours are all odd holes, which is just an interesting thing to start considering as you look through the pairings. So I'll be looking into stuff like that and I'll probably have some thoughts on that.
1: All right, so they can find you. You're writing for the Fried Egg, but also your own newsletter, Finding the Edge. Recommend everybody sign up for that. Also follow you on Twitter. So, hey, Joseph, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, it's always fun to chat. And uh, looking for, I mean, this is this is one of the this I I mean it's probably the most fun event um, we have in golf. I can't wait. And and what makes it so fun is all of the uh, armchair quarterback that, quarterbacking that you can do with it
0: looking forward to it thanks for having me on Andy
1: thank you for listening to another edition of the Friday Golf Podcast today's episode was edited by Matt Ruches thank you Matt new resident of Colorado Matt Ruches congrats on the move Matt As a reminder, we talked about it at the top, but we've got a Pro Shop sale going on uh, over Labor Day weekend. Labor Day 15 gets you 15% off everything in the Friday Golf Pro Shop. So that includes print photography as well as all the merchandise. And uh, you just go to proshop.thefridayeg.com and you can uh, peruse there. Thanks. I hope everybody has a happy and safe Labor Day weekend. I honestly probably one of my favorite holidays of the uh of the year so look forward to it and uh we will be back one episode next week so we will be back next week with one episode i will uh i'll put something together uh next week so talk to you then and thanks for listening as always